Welcome to Smart Healthcare Safety from ECRI Institute, where we have real conversations about real safety issues in healthcare. I'm your host, Paul Anderson. Today, we're talking about a unique patient room design contest held among architecture firms in the Boston area. It's a contest that didn't have a winner, but really was still a resounding success. To get us started, if you could introduce yourself. I'm Mark Masick. I'm a risk management analyst here at ECRI Institute. I'm probably best known here for playing patient number two in the opioid deep dive last year. So if I'm recognized, that's who I am. (laughs) Thanks, Mark. So we'll make sure we have a link to that video in the show notes today because it actually is a really cool um, showing some examples of respiratory distress for folks who have opioids in their body. But before we get to the details, Mark, of this article and what we learned, maybe if you could set the stage a little bit for what this contest was, what it was intended to do, who was participating, that kind of thing. So the story of this contest actually begins years before the contest ever happened. A hospital administrator in Boston actually got sick while in a hospital, and then he started seeing all the data about healthcare-associated infections and realizing that this was a real problem that people weren't addressing. So what he did was kind of convene this. At first, it was kind of a think tank with infection preventionists and environmental services people and architects. And they would learn and they would do research and they would see presentations. But then when all that happened, they kind of created this contest and they were like, seven of the best architecture firms in Boston came together and it was like, okay, you guys are going to compete. You're going to design the perfect patient room and the winner is going to get the patient room in our hospital. Mark, who convened this contest? So this was kind of the idea of Partners Healthcare, which I believe runs a lot of hospitals in Boston, Mass General, Brigham and Women's Hospital specifically. And the room that they were actually going to design was going to go into Brigham and Women's Hospital. We call the article the contest that no one won. So when we say that no one won, what do we actually mean by that? Well, I think when we say the contest that no one won, that was really a way for us to try to get people to read the article. What really happened was everyone won, specifically the hospital won and specifically the patients won. When these different architects, and again, we're talking about at the top of their field, the best architects in the city all came together. The hospital quickly realized, like, okay, the best room would be if all seven of these rooms were combined into one room. So rather than saying, okay, yours won, and then ignoring the great hand hygiene stuff that was in the third place room, they said, you guys are going to come together, we're going to reconvene this thing, and you're all going to make the perfect room. And that way, everybody wins. So it must have been quite a thing to have these firms that are competing with each other now collaborating. That was what all these architects said, and I had them all on the same phone call at once. And They came together in a way that they're almost friends now, and they all kind of said, I only saw these people in the hospital. I'm leaving the room when the other person's coming in, going at these pitches, and you see them for one second in the hallway, and they're your enemies, and you don't know them. And architects, you know, it's not really a job we ever really think about. They don't get to collaborate with their peers. So for them to come together, they got to hear the thinking of their competitors in a way that is really groundbreaking is the word that one of the architects used. Mm-hmm. And it really was groundbreaking because we don't really do this in any industry, let alone healthcare mm-hmm. architecture. Right. I mean, I know a parallel example is we talk about with our partnership for health IT patient safety, we talk about EHR vendors agreeing not to compete on safety. We'll compete on other features, but on safety, we're all in it together. And it sounds, it's like an analogy here, right? We're not going to compete on safety in some sense. Exactly. It's, we're all on the same team. We're all trying to make the patients leave the room healthier. In the article, you talk about some different buckets that the architects use to make choices to promote infection control in their room design. So I wonder if maybe you could recap what some of those buckets are and maybe give some examples of interventions in each one. 
So this was kind of the result of the think tank thing at the beginning and then all these meetings that they had. So they convened, I believe it was like four, six hour or six, four hour meetings after the contest began and they were doing presentations. They were learning, they had homework every day, they're doing research and they came up that like to design the perfect room, it would be divided into these buckets. One is that it facilitates room cleaning. One that it facilitates equipment cleaning. One is that the adaptations to the room would minimize splash or touch contamination. One is that it would encourage hand hygiene and then that it would improve waste management. And then every idea they came up with would kind of fit into one of those boxes. Like you facilitate room cleaning, that's like a headboard that is smooth and not built in the wall, doesn't have these obtrusive dust gathering shelves, these ornate, you know, you're not going to build a room with a gargoyle above the bed because (laughs) that can get dust on top of it facilitates equipment cleaning, you know, bedpans that can be cleaned without bringing them in and out of the room and getting another chance for contamination after you've already cleaned it. Doors that you can open hand-free are an example of like you're minimizing touch. That was a big thing, minimizing touch. Like light switches that go on automatically when you come into a room, like call buttons that can be called without pressing, Hmm. you know, hand hygiene is monitoring stations and sinks in the room and providing opportunities for people to perform hand hygiene. So all these things fit into these buckets and they divided them up really just for simplicity's sake mm-hmm. when they're analyzing everything. But I mean, it sounds like it gives even the folks who weren't directly in those meetings, right? It gives them a good framework to sort of say, here's how we've got to approach this. Here are, as you say, if I'm just this broad concept of reducing touch or reducing surfaces that dust can settle on. I like it. It gives a good framework to sort of say, here's how we're going to approach a lot of these solutions. Yeah. It's easier than just saying, okay, make the room cleaner. Like, right. what does that mean? Exactly. Exactly. You say in the article that one of the big takeaways for the participants was don't believe the hype. What do we mean about what hype are we not believing? Marketing hype specifically. Uh, this is a takeaway that all of us can take. I think not even just environmental services and infection control in hospital. I'm trying to clean my carpet right now. And even I was in there. The most expensive carpet cleaner must be the best one. But that's really not the case, they found out. And they had what the architect said is that they got a crash course in what it means to be evidence-based. And, and they, were, they were getting sucked in by the hype in some cases, and like we all do. And, oh, this is the most expensive solution. This must be the right thing. This must be the correct solution. And it's really not. When you're cleaning a room, bleach is just as effective in many cases as the latest antimicrobial. A lot of these are buzzwords that don't mean anything. And, uh, I actually, I talked to Carol Clark, who's one of our patient safety analysts here about this, and and she made an excellent point that so much of the price of cleaning supplies is the marketing budget being brought in. So if a company is saying, all right, here, this cleaner costs X, it's really no different than the bleach with no name on it. It's just they've spent X amount of dollars marketing that product, and now they're passing on that price to you, the consumer. I think we can use that in any aspect of our life, but Specifically, when you're trying to spend your money in the right ways, that's an easy way to make better choices. When and on the scale that a hospital is exactly. purchasing, right? Exactly. We're not talking about cleaning an apartment. We're talking yeah. about cleaning potentially hundreds of patient rooms. I imagine we're talking about surface cleaning solutions mm-hmm. and floor cleaning and, and all those, even laundering, I would imagine, right? We've got to clean all the linens and everything. So all of those. And I did pick the most expensive carpet cleaner for my apartment. <laughs> I wanted my room to smell like Hawaii, but in a hospital... Maybe not the right choice all the time. Maybe not the right choice. (laughs) You know, you close the article by emphasizing that the idea that room design matters and that there are lessons for hospitals, not just for the architects. So what are some things maybe that the folks in the hospitals can take away that are over and above what the folks in the architecture end of things take away? 
Well, when I talked to all these people, there was a hospital infection control specialist on the call too. And I think she said what was the best thing that I heard someone say. She's like, if I had my way, I want the hospital room to be a stainless steel room with nothing else. And I can go in there and I can hose the room down between patients, which is if we're really thinking from an infection control perspective, that's what we should have. We come in there and you, you come in, it's easy. You're going in there and you're wearing a hazmat suit and it comes out and it's as clean as it can possibly be. And it's completely sterile, but you're making it inhospitable to germs, but you're also making it inhospitable to patients. And you have to remember that we're treating people. And then the architects kind of gave her this course on, you know, the way a room looks, you know, we've read studies here about even putting a plant in the room makes such a difference and a window that faces uh, the sun and different types of arts have different effect on patient recovery. And they're the things that I think when you're just thinking, let's get this room clean, let's get this patient in and out that can get lost, that this is people we're dealing with. Yeah. What's something that really surprised you when you were either doing some research or talking to the folks while working on this? Architect to me is like, a job that they made up for romantic comedies was they need someone <laughs> to follow. I, I never met an architect before, so I never really thought about their day-to-day -day life. And even more, I never thought about a healthcare architect. And a thing that really stood out to me was the healthcare architect said, this isn't a job you grow up wanting to be a healthcare architect. You fall into it and you stay because you want to make a difference. You stay because you love it. And, you know, they're not designing skyscrapers and they're not designing castles and they're designing, they're limited in what they have to do. And they're, they're basically making these hotels that have to make you feel better. Mm -hmm. And the fact what they said that, oh, I had never thought about what a healthcare architect does and what a value, they specifically said that they're part of the healthcare team and they consider themselves partners with the infection control people and the doctors. And I don't think that would ever cross my mind. And I wonder if that even crosses the mind of a lot of healthcare organizations, that the architect is a part of your team. And really the first step, if you're running a hospital, in getting people to feel better is making sure that room, you know, it's, a, it's an extra safeguard. If your room is healthier, your patients are going to leave healthier. What's something our listeners, whether they're running the hospital or they're just running the environmental services team or they're designing a new building, what's something they can do today to start to make a difference? The biggest takeaway was keep it simple. That was the answer that they found. So you really don't need to have a contest and invite every architect in your city to design the perfect room. You don't need to dig up and build a whole hospital from scratch. A lot of the solutions they came up with are simple. And the biggest thing is just limiting touch areas, you know, and focusing on hand hygiene. That means having cues for hand hygiene in your room. It means having places for people to wash your hands. But it also means like take away those places where people are going to touch, where germs are going to settle. So now think about putting your TV. We have these flat screen TVs now that can go flush against the wall and they won't have these dust shelves. And for other patient violences in the news now, it can't be used as a weapon as easily. Anything, you have a lot of clutter in your apartment maybe, a hospital room should not be a room for a hoarder. The least amount of things people can touch. And you don't, you may not think about it like, oh, well, what's the big deal about me having this cart in the corner of the room? Well, you're going to touch that. You're going to touch that after you wash your hands and you don't know who touched it before you. So if you take away the opportunities for people to touch, you take away the opportunities to spread germs. And I think that's the easiest way to redesign the room is strip it down, make it simple. Obviously, don't make it a stainless steel room like they <laughs> wanted, but limit the places where germs can settle. Anything else that we want to make sure we covered? Any questions I didn't ask? No, I think it, I went this morning to try to look and see if the room had actually been built because when I wrote the article, they were still working on it. And no word yet, but I'm intrigued and I, and I hope that this is, it's really, I hope it changes our listeners' mind about what a room design can be. 
Mark Masick, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Mark is a risk management analyst with our patient safety, risk, and quality team here at Equity Institute. Make sure you see the show notes for today's episode to find a link to Mark's article about the room design contest and more design tips for putting patient safety first in room design and layout.